0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Here comes Bosco's Boys, here comes Bosco's Boys, right down Bosco's Boys' Lane. Santa Claus got and all the boneheads on Willie's crazy train. Chauncey's chewing on a crimson. Sugar, here comes, here comes Bosco's boys. 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 Boom! The boys are back for the final episode of our whip around series of the season, of the year, the final Bosco's Boys episode of the year. Before we get started with the whip around, I just want to thank everybody for what has been the greatest year of Bosco's Boys. Um, quite frankly, it, it's been a record setting year, uh, all because of you guys. We ha- we've we had our highest average downloads per episode Uh, Blowing away uh, total downloads, blowing away total episodes, um, blowing away um, reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Um, It's just truly been a record and banner year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's really anything that I've done. uh, When you have one of the greatest football seasons in school history... When you have a college football or college basketball coaching search, um, where whether folks want to give him this title or not, a legendary football coach or basketball coach uh, being let go, and then a hiring of someone who has ingratiated himself faster than any other coach in K State history. Um, also, some highlights: the Aoka Lee record-setting performance. Uh, the women's basketball team getting a postseason win. Um, lots of fun, uh, different interviews. You know, we had Jacob Poland right at the beginning of the year. We had Gene Taylor on multiple times. We had Jesse Ertz. We had all sorts of fun stuff this year at Bosco's Boys. Um, we had, we, we're currently still uh, in our longest run ever of uh, weekdays with a brand new episode. Um, it truly just has been a, a banner year and uh, it, it's it's all because of K-State. It's all because of you guys, the Boneheads, um, and it has been a fun run. Can't wait to see what 2023 has in store. Before I tee up everything we got going on in this whip around, remember we are sponsored by Manhattan Brewing Company. Guys, they I think I saw on Twitter today, they have 18 different beers currently on tap. Folks, I promise you, no matter what sort of craft beer fan you are, whether you like stuff on the hoppy side, on the sour side, uh, if you want a malt forward beer, crisp, refreshing beer, they have everything. If you think you might not like craft beer... I promise you, they have something that can help introduce you to the world of craft beer that you will like. Do you like signature cocktails? Guess what? They have that there as well. The next time you're in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, might be on Saturday for the basketball game or to watch the Sugar Bowl. I mean, hell, we we have basically the entire conference play for both men's and women's basketball right in front of us. And, hell, it's always fun to go to Manhattan, Kansas. So the next time you're there, stop in at the tap room. Get yourself some delicious craft beers and signature cocktails. Take some crowlers and four-packs to go. All right, we got two great primers. Then I'll end the show talking about K-State's new volleyball coach and two massive basketball games uh, that that are going to start the men's and women's seasons off in Big 12 play. Look, I, I thought about it and I decided, look, this guy has given us some of the best primers that we've had all season. He's always entertaining on the mic. And I'm riding the hot hand, folks. I'm riding the hot hand. His name is Mason Voth. Uh, he has uh, delivered us some great primers and K-State has won some massive games when he has given us the primers. So I'm going to go to the bullpen one more time to get my friend mason both the head honcho over there at Ema online the k-state website in the rivals network um because look i'm not always superstitious but i have mason doing this primer you know i'm gonna be picking out you know i i don't repeat i don't repeat uh you know what shirts or crewnecks or anything uh that You know, I'm not superstitious always, but I I am breaking out all the good luck possible for this Sugar Bowl game. So we're going to get to Mason, then I'll be back and introduce my guy KP for the Alabama Primer.
2: Let's do this LeBron James style. Not one, not two, not three, but four primers in a row for myself, Mason Voth from Ema Online and Rivals as we cover the Cats on a daily basis for you and uh, have plenty of stuff going on with the Sugar Bowl. Great way to get ready for everything that will take place on Saturday. Uh, you you know the story at this point. Scott asked me to do the West Virginia game. I was semi-hurt that it was the West Virginia game and not the Kansas game. The Cats won. I came back for the Kansas game, delivered a 20-point victory over the Jayhawks yet again, and uh, I got to come back for the Big 12 championship, and it worked out in my favor. So uh, after our conversation a week, two weeks ago, uh, it became clear that I was likely going to do this again for the Sugar Bowl, and I will try and deliver a fourth straight win for the Wildcats this one Uh, One of the bigger ones in school history if they're able to pull it off and able to beat Alabama. This has been quite the season for K-State, and it ultimately is ending in a spot that I think a lot of people would have seen K-State having a chance to be in at the beginning of the year, when everybody threw them out as a dark horse Big 12 title contender. Well, what ended up happening was they won the Big 12, and now here they are playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is the duty that you get once you win the Big 12 conference. But the way they got here was, you know, kind of topsy-turvy and it had some weird moments in there, but it was never like the season felt like it was lost or there was anything that was really going to throw things out of whack. Uh, Probably the only time that things really felt that way was when Adrian Martinez initially got hurt at TCU and Will Howard had to come in. And then after those first two drives, you're like, "Nah, screw it. Will Howard can do this thing now. So K-State had those first three games. Things didn't seem to be all well with the offense. They got him fixed for Oklahoma. They ripped off three straight to win the three straight wins to start the Big 12 season. Then the tight loss to TCU, where really things didn't get away from him until Jake Rubly had to come into that football game and you had to go to your third string quarterback. They rebounded nicely. Adrian Martinez gets hurt again. Doesn't matter. Will Howard steps up and continues to be a stud. And now K-State has a quarterback next season, which is not necessarily something that people expected. So Things end in a spot that most people would have hoped for and uh, a good amount of people probably could have told you uh, they would have a chance at. So here we are getting ready for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Nick Saban, Chris Kleiman, two of the biggest winners in college football over the last 10, 15 years, and they're going to get to play each other. And this is going to be the, I mean, of all the tasks that Chris Kleiman has had to prove that football is football, and he's already done that, this is the most football is football matchups of all time. He gets to go out, and the guy that was the Saban of FCS now gets to actually face Nick Saban, and we'll see what K-State can do as the underdogs in their game against Alabama. The biggest thing going into this, and why a lot of people were excited for a shot at Alabama, was because you thought that Bryce Young and Will Anderson would not be playing for the Crimson Tide. Their Heisman-winning quarterback from 2021, and their amazingly talented linebacker, Will Anderson, who is... If he doesn't go number one, he'll go number two or three in the draft. But he is probably the most talented player in the NFL draft this upcoming year, and so people just assume that they would opt out since that's the thing that happens in college football now. But that was not the case. They both are going to play in this game. Nick Saban keeps saying that the institution has done uh, as much as they can to, you know, ensure these guys or or compensate or whatever. Um, in asking around what that means, I mean the the initial response from our buddies at the Alabama rival site was that hey like that's just the insurance policy they take out. I almost wonder if that's more though of a code for hey they're practicing with us, they are with us, but they're not necessarily going to play the entire game. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they're gamers, maybe that this is something that that's going to work out and they're going to play the entirety of the game. I am completely fine if they do that. I think it will be fun to see, but I also would not be shocked if and this is again just me speculating, but I would not be shocked if we see You know, them play a little bit and not the entirety of the game. So we'll see how things end up playing out for those two guys. But they are in, and really the only other concerns for Alabama is that they lost their starting left guard to the transfer portal. He's off to Miami. He's going to be replaced, though, with a guy that was named All-SEC Freshman uh, this year. So the guy that's taking his spot has gotten plenty of snaps this season, has never made a start, but he's comfortable and he's very talented as well. So not much of a concern there. The other thing that kind of had some things in question, they had another linebacker uh, that was going to be uh, maybe questionable to go for the game uh, after he showed up in a sling at practice the other day. But, again, if Will Anderson's going, there's not much concern elsewhere there. Good news for K-State in this game is that Echo Boydo is apparently good to go. That's what Joe Klanderman said on Wednesday morning at his press conference. So uh, everybody that is without a season-ending injury is likely to play and be available for this game in the Sugar Bowl for K-State. So that's good news for them, and we'll see uh, what – what kind of task Julius Brents and Echo Boydo are up to because I actually think that that's one spot defensively that K-State can really get a leg up in this game against Alabama. The Crimson Tide have not been the same passing team this year that they've been in past years. They don't have a receiver over 500 yards receiving this year, I think, or they only have like two guys, I think, that eclipse that mark. And – you go and look back at everything that took place the past few years, they had two 1,000 yard receivers the year prior, and then they had two more guys over 400 yards. So they only had two guys that were over that number this year of actual receivers. Now, Jameer Gibbs, their running back, very talented. He is a possibility and a big threat in the passing game at times, but that's something to, to take into consideration, and with the talent that and Boydo have for K-State, I think that's something that they're really going to have to focus on, and... It's probably best if Alabama is forced to throw the football against K-State rather than run it, which is probably not something that we would have thought about at the beginning of the year when it comes to who would K-State play in a bowl game because they are so talented up front with their defensive line and their linebackers. But in this game, Alabama's got so much talent on that offensive line and at running back, and they're a little bit shakier. Now, Shaky is a relative term for Alabama, but they are shakier in the passing game. So K-State trying to force Alabama to the air, I think it's going to be really important in this one. And something to watch, because I think if you see early on that K-State is forcing Alabama to throw the ball more, uh, and, and K-State's having a little bit of success there, that's a good sign. That means K-State's going to be able to hang around and compete in this game. A couple of other things that I think are going to be important in this game... I would love to see K-State win the toss and take the ball again. They, they've done that in big game after big game this year when they've been the ones that got to dictate, hey, we are taking the ball first. They have had success and they've made statements. I think it's incredibly important for them to go out there, be able to get settled, and try and set the tone early that, hey, we're at least going to be able to fight in this game. Also, this very well could just be PTSD to sitting at the Fiesta Bowl and watching De'Anthony Thomas take the opening kickback and the entire time leading up to kickoff just like telling my dad "Ah, k-state they got to take the ball first they didn't get that chance oregon you know ends up uh running away with it and so i think it's important that k-state goes out there and does that and in doing so i think it also helps them just go out and, and settle down immediately and just say hey this is another game we've played big brand teams before like oklahoma like texas they're not at the level that Alabama is, but I think to get out there and maybe be able to get your feet under you with some offense early and have a lead or at least, you know, act like you've moved the ball is going to be pretty beneficial for the long term stretch of this game. So we'll see how it ends up going down. But I do think that those are some of the things to kind of keep in mind. The other thing I'll note Adrian Martinez is healthy. He will be available for this game. My assumption is that, like, we don't see him a ton. I don't, you know, Chris Kleiman said that Will Howard is the guy. But I can see Adrian Martinez in short yardage situations or, like, goal to go getting in there. Uh, and I don't know who the the Bosco's boys, uh, you know, like fantasy or whatever sponsor is at this point, Bet uh, sponsor, whoever it is, go there and... Put money on Adrian Martinez to score a touchdown in this game. I, For whatever reason, I have this gut feeling that Adrian Martinez is going to get a touch and, and score a touchdown on the ground in this game, but that's really the only notion I have. We probably see Martinez for five or less snaps, but I do think that they probably mean something when he gets in there. Now, as for my prediction for this game, I would love to pick the Cats, uh, and I would love to be a serious homer and do all of that, but... I do have to do some of this with my head and Alabama is still just a incredibly talented team and they've got more than K-State. I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that Alabama wins. I think it's possible that K-State can be competitive in this game, but I do kind of foresee a game playing out uh similar to you know that that fiesta bowl where K-State was never really in the game, but they did enough to kind of hang around and and make it at least, you know, me as a 13 a year old or whatever do mental math in my head like, well, you know, maybe this could happen and this happens and and here it is a one score game. Uh so I think Alabama probably wins the game on Saturday uh by a final score of I'll go 38-24. That would be my guess. I I I would love to see the cats do it and, and do something special. Um, but it just doesn't seem possible at this point in time. Now, if K-State loses in any fashion on Saturday, it should not be lost that this was one heck of a season and one of the most impressive and important seasons in K-State history. So I I look forward to seeing uh, how everything goes down on Saturday, seeing everybody in New Orleans, and just embrace the moment. Enjoy the Sugar Bowl because, as has been discussed before, there aren't a ton of new bowl games that K-State fans can go and experience The Sugar Bowl is one of those, and it's one of the biggest of them all. So it's time to go down there, embrace the moment. And once kickoff happens, K-State's playing with house money yet again because everybody's thinking Alabama wins that game. Everybody was thinking that TCU was going to win that game back at the start of December. So see what the Cats can do. We'll go from there. I've been Mason both EMA online and Rivals. You can find me over there. Also on Twitter at the Real Mason V. I appreciate Scott for letting me come on here and uh, steal like eleven minutes of podcast time. So uh, that'll do it for me. Go Cats! Drive safe to New Orleans, or you know, maybe you can sneak onto a, a Southwest flight.
1: And thank you so much to Mason. We're riding right the hot hand, and I think he's going to get us. Another massive victory. All right, so you guys might be thinking, well, hell, who does Scott know that's going to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide? Who, who's Scott going to, uh, you know, pull out of, you know, thin air? Well, luckily for me, over at Sports Drink, one of the uh, head guys over there, one of the guys who's been involved in the Sports Drink Company and project from day one is KP. He's doing the Banjo College Football Show over on the Sports Drink Network. So he's going to help us out. He's a two-time degree holder from the University of Alabama. So he's not even one of those bandwagon fans. You know I was going to take care of us and find someone who, uh, you know, he's probably a little obnoxious, you know, what Alabama fan isn't. Uh, But, you know, he's a real Crimson Tide fan. So uh, let's hear what KP has to say. Uh, And then I'll be back to finish this up, talking a little hoops, talking a little volleyball as well.
0: Howdy. My name's Kevin Paul, Alabama grad, co-founder of Sports Drink, and I'm here to give you the primer for the matchup between K-State and Alabama in the Sugar Bowl on Saturday. It's been quite the odd season for Alabama when comparing the preseason expectations. Many people thought this to be head coach Nick Saban's best team or at least close to it, and the voters responded by making Alabama the preseason number one. Alabama went 10-2, did not win the SEC West, and suffered a down year in which they entered the postseason ranked number five and then the Sugar Bowl. Thoughts and prayers at this time. The biggest storyline obviously for Alabama fans is the continued employment of both coordinators. OC Bill O'Brien has been pretty underwhelming this season, trotting out the most unimaginative Alabama offense since 2008. More often than not, the game plan is just Bryce Young will bail us out, and when he doesn't, it looks quite ugly. O'Brien's contract is up as soon as the clock hits triple zeros on Saturday, so Alabama fans' long nightmare is almost over. P. Golding's a more interesting case. His defense was very, very good last year, and outside of three quarters this year, first and fourth against Tennessee and fourth against LSU, it's been pretty good in 2022 as well. But when it breaks, it breaks in a pretty loud and violent way. Golding is a rarity these days for Nick Saban. He's a hand-picked young coordinator who Nick is clearly grooming for bigger things. There's a sizable amount of the fan base there who still wouldn't hate to see Pete leave next season. Perhaps surprisingly, Alabama had zero opt-outs for this bowl game. Barring catastrophe, Bryce Young and Edge Will Anderson will both be top 10 picks in this spring's NFL draft. The Sugar Bowl is still an event and a big deal, and it will be nice to see Alabama's best players suiting up for it. Bama's had 13 players transferred from the program, including 5 O-linemen and 4 receivers. So in terms of major contributors, Alabama won't be missing much, but depth will still be slightly shakier than what we're used to seeing. Obviously, Bryce Young and Will Anderson are the main players to watch, but I'm most interested in the guys who will step up and be contributors next year, getting their first real shot at making a name for themselves. Freshman inside linebacker J. Campbell has been getting reps, with senior Jalen Moody and sophomore Deontay Lawson both limited. He's a really twitchy athlete. He looks like he might be next in Alabama's assembly line of inside linebackers. On the offensive side of the ball, I'm looking for one or more of the freshman receivers to really break out. Isaiah Bond and Kendrick Law have had big flashes this year, and Kobe Prentice was even an opening day starter. All three have potential to break out this game and separate themselves as a guy uh, heading into next year. On to the game itself, Bama's main priority has to be containing Deuce Vaughn as a pass catcher. Nick Saban's scheme is uh, pretty well known at this point, and it does seem to always forget that the running back is an eligible receiver. And Kansas State's path to an upset lies in Vaughn making big catches and runs on third downs. Offensively, Alabama has to be able to stand up to pressure. Kansas State blitzed and attacked TCU Reed relentlessly in the Big 12 title game, and they beat up Max Duggan with hammers. When Max was given any, time, any amount of time to throw, though, Uh, There were plenty of one-on-one opportunities on the outside. Bill O'Brien still hasn't diagnosed an eight-gap blitz in his two years at Alabama, so if he does manage to do that in his last game, Bama will probably have some success on offense. That is a big if. I'm thinking this game will be much closer than the general public might feel. In my gut, I'm thinking Alabama wins, but not super confident about it. Either way, it's always unique to have an SEC versus SEC matchup in such a prestigious bowl game. So give me Alabama 27, Kansas State 23. This was really fun, everyone. Um, For all y'all listening, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at KJ underscore Paul. I'm also hosting a fundraiser soon to celebrate being 25 years cancer-free, and I'd love any support from Wildcat Nation I can get. All information about the fundraiser can be found on either one of those social media profiles. Hope to see some of y'all in New Orleans. Thanks and Happy New Year. Emo, y'all take care.
1: And thank you to Kevin, KP, one of the uh, co-founders, one of the guys who have been there uh, from the start over at Sports Drink. You know, they are, they're our guys. Um, Love being part of Sports Drink. Love that we are also part of the 1012 Network as well. As always, check out all the other great shows on Sports Drink on 1012 Network It's such a fun collection of shows, just a fun community to uh, be a part of in this uh, crazy world that I call, uh, you know, sports podcasting. Before we continue, remember we are sponsored by Charlie Hussle. I'm currently wearing my Purple Power K-State crewneck sweatshirt. Again, I've talked about it. I have 10 of these. I have a couple pair of their joggers. Um, I think I have four or five different t-shirts. Charlie Hustle, not only are they a local Kansas City-owned apparel company, but they have the most comfortable styles. They have the best-looking styles. They have officially licensed K-State gear. They have stuff for, you know, if you you like to wear red on Sundays, they got the Arrowhead collection. Spring training is going to be here before you know it. They have the Crown Town collection. Uh, You know, you'll be out, you know, watching, you know, Kansas City soccer team's Both the men's and women's uh, professional teams, they got the uh, current collection and the sporting club collection as well. Uh, They also have the iconic Kansas City Heart designs and Kansas City Landmark designs as well, so check out charliehustle.com today. I'm going to get started on this news because everyone knows, uh, I've talked about uh, K-State Volleyball I've been trying to do a better job talking about it every single week uh, in season, and I made some ripples, and and I think there were some folks. I think out of all the takes I've had on the show this year, one of the ones that actually caused um, maybe the most unfollows. I think I think the two things that got folks uh, legitimately mad at me uh, this fall on Twitter is when I said, well, this is the game over when Will Howard got hurt versus TCU while we were still winning, and me saying that I believed it was time to move on from Susie Fritz. I think those two tweets, and then subsequently talking about needing to move on from Susie Fritz on the podcast resulted in uh, quite a few folks who unfollowed me, unfollowed the show, um, there's some folks who are not very happy with me and with the show uh, because I was pretty open, pretty out there, um, not necessarily with my criticism, but saying, hey, I think it is time to move on. Um, you know, I, I was a big proponent of hiring Don out of UNLV. Uh, she is going to Mizzou. Uh, the AD at Missouri was also the AD who hired her. Uh, at UNLV, I believe that it was uh, Don Sullivan. That is, I, I I believe that was something that was a back and forth. I think she was a legitimate candidate, um, and ultimately, hey, she decided to go to Missouri, and that's all right. Um, K State ended up with Jason Mansfield, and you know, unless you're pretty deep in the world of volleyball. Uh, which admittedly, as big of a K-State volleyball fan as I am, um, I had no clue who this guy was. He wasn't really uh, on my radar at all. But he is a coach that has had many stops along the way uh, to get to this point, and it's always been high pedigree programs. He came up through the Stanford volleyball uh, you know, program through their coaching ranks, starting off as an assistant, getting promoted, uh, and eventually becoming, I think their number two assistant, um, volleyball. I have no idea. Truthfully, I have no idea if it's kind of like a hierarchy type system, like it is in basketball, where you have like your, uh, you know, associate head coach, uh, your number one assistant, number two assistant, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he continued to rise through the ranks at Stanford being part of countless Pac-12 championships, being part of a national championship. Went to Illinois for a two-year stint where they were a tournament team where they had multiple All-Americans in those two years. Then most recently, he has been part of a Washington program that has been a perennial uh, NCAA tournament team, been a Pac-12 champion team, and he is coming to K-State. Now, where was he at the in, in the pecking order at Washington? Um, they had their coach move on, take a, a new job. They promoted in-house. It wasn't Jason Sullivan. So was he the number two? Or Jason Mansfield, excuse me, Jason Mansfield. Was he the number two guy there? I I don't know. I don't know the hierarchy. But what I do know is we are getting someone who knows what it looks like to win and win big in modern college volleyball. He's a guy who is also well-connected through the Team USA ranks. He's someone who is well-connected into the prep ranks and into the club volleyball ranks. Even while he was a coach in college, he was still working with USA Volleyball. He was still working early on in his career in the club system in volleyball. I believe this is the type of hire that K-State needed to make uh, you know, if you weren't going to get a, uh, you know, the legacy head coach and Don Sullivan, this is the hire that you want to make. He's had three highly successful stops at volleyball winners, and two of them in Stanford in Washington. Uh, I would call them volleyball powers, and you hope that he can bring that blueprint to K State. He, he's seen how it's been done at three different programs. Obviously, he's going to know what successful volleyball looks looks like. He'll know what successful volleyball recruiting looks like. And my hope is he can take us to that level. And I'm not even saying... And, and it does not have to be a level that we've never seen at K-State Volleyball. Keep in mind, as the transition to Susie Fritz happened and... For a large swath of the first half of Susie Fritz's career, K State was a perennial NCAA tournament team. It was a program that has conference titles. They've had all conference players. You know, and now you're bringing in someone who has worked with Olympians, who has been at the top of. What is the best volleyball conference in college volleyball, the Pac-12? With someone who has connections to Team USA Volleyball and into the prep and club ranks. You got to like the pedigree that this guy comes from. Now, unlike hiring a coordinator in football or even hiring an associate head coach in men's basketball... I don't think any of us, I, I don't think anyone who listens to this podcast uh, is deep enough and knows enough about volleyball to truthfully say, hey, this guy is going to be a recruiting savant or he's an X's and O's expert. No, I don't. There, there's not enough coverage in uh, the world of volleyball. And quite frankly, uh, I, I know some folks who are deep enough who could probably uh, give me a Uh, Real in-depth look, but I haven't called in those favors. I have not called in those questions yet. Um, But at the baseline, when you look at this, uh, I'm not going to compare it to the Jerome Tang hire. Jerome Tang um, was a well-known commodity inside the basketball world. Um, He was the associate head coach. He was the number one guy. He was with uh, Scott Drew from the beginning of it. But this is an impressive coach if you're going... At the assistant coach level. Now the one thing I would tell Jason. And I hope I can get Coach Mansfield on the show this winter. It is my goal to have him on the winter or the spring um, at some point. I want to get him on before the volleyball season starts. And I'll phrase up a, the question to him. Uh, and you know I it might be one of the first questions I ask him is. How are you going to re-engage Specifically with the student fans, but with the fan base as a whole. You've ne- you, ha- you have not gotten, you have not received, you have not had a home court advantage in volleyball since they moved out of Ahern the last few years playing in Brantledge But when I was in school, and when they used to play games in Ahern, that place got absolutely rocking. When I was a student there, and I would go to anywhere between 10 to 15 matches uh, a year. I there, My freshman year, I think I went to almost every single home volleyball match um, in the entire season. You could see programs, you could see teams getting intimidated by the atmosphere in there. Granted, it might be because there was no AC and everyone was you know, dripping sweat, you know, that that's no fun, but it was an intimidating atmosphere. And as we move into this new volleyball arena, K-State has a fan base. They have, uh, especially outside of the fan base, in the city of Manhattan, in the county, Riley County, in the surrounding areas, you have fans who appreciate good volleyball, who will come to this new volleyball arena and support this program. Now, You win, you do the Catbacker Tour, uh, you do some events you know, at the Manhattan Rotary Club, do some stuff around Riley County, you're going to get the old folks to come back. You're going to get the townies to come back. But if you can re-engage the student body, if you can re-engage and get the Purple Pit to come back, I think Coach Mansfield is going to be successful, and I think he is going to be successful early. Because again, There are not very many places in America. I would say that at its peak, when I was in school, when games were still being played in the Hearn, that K-State had a top 25 home court advantage in volleyball. And I would love to see that return. I hope that Coach Mansfield and I hope this volleyball program can re-engage with the students and help facilitate the return of that Purple Pit environment uh, that we saw Back, you know, in the mid-2000s, in the early aughts. uh, Because I tell you what, it it truly was just a crazy atmosphere in the old barn uh, playing some volleyball. So I hope to see that return. Uh, Let's touch on men's and women's basketball. And then we will call it uh, a day. We will call it a year. uh, And that will be it for Bosco's boys in 2022. We, I've talked um, almost every episode this week, at least touched on how big of a game this is on Saturday with West Virginia. West Virginia being the number 24 ranked team in the nation, K-State receiving votes, um, it's going to be a good matchup. And it, and it truly is going to be a good taste of uh, basketball early on. Uh, for Jerome Tang. Again, he's been in the Big 12 before, um, but this is going to be his first taste uh, as the head coach. He's going up against a Hall of Fame uh, type coach. Um, Not necessarily a Bob Huggins type thing that you'd expect. You know, West Virginia is scoring over 80 points a game. They are holding uh, teams to 66, but they're shooting 50% from the field. They're grabbing 34 rebounds. So they're shooting just slightly better than K-State. Raw percentage from the field. k state slightly better rebounding. K-State shares the ball a little bit better. Um, K-State's on a five-game winning streak. West Virginia, they've lost two games. They lost a game versus Xavier. So they lost on the road in the Big 12 Big East Challenge. And they also lost an early game to Purdue by 12 points. Although, we know how good Purdue is. Currently the number one team in the nation. Um, so, you know, no, nothing to turn your nose up against, uh, you know, losing to, to Purdue. West Virginia is going to be a dangerous team. You no, know, Eric Stevenson is their leading scorer. He's getting 14.5 points a game. They got their forward, Trey Mitchell, grabbing 13 a game. They can spread it out. They're going to have a handful of guys who are going to score in the double digits. Eric Stevenson is shooting uh, just under 50% from three. They got uh, Emmett Matthews Jr. shooting right at 50% from three. Seth uh, Wilson, he's only scoring five points a game, but he's another guy who's up over 45% from three. They have a handful of guys, and then Trey Mitchell at 35%. They're a team that can hit threes. They're a team that can turn you over. But again, this isn't, you know, prison ball. This isn't, you know, the old school Bob Huggins, Frank Martin type of uh, team. They are playing a lot faster than they used to, they're giving up more points than they used to. So this isn't going to be some, you know, prison ball 50 to 48 where there's, you know, a million fouls. Both teams are in the double bonus you know, at the 13-minute mark or anything like that. This is not going to be football on the hardwood uh, like some of those Frank Martin, Bob Huggins games were back, you know, when West Virginia joined the Big 12. That's not what we're going to see. Uh, Ultimately, I think we get it done. And then that makes the game on Tuesday versus Texas. I I don't want to say you're playing with house money, but if you're able to take care of business Versus West Virginia at home. Get a top 25 win. Get a top 10 win in the net rankings. uh, Your first quad one win of the season. That would be absolutely massive. Maybe it would be our second quad one. I think that might be our second quad one. Um, But regardless, it would get you to the point where you don't have to pull off the upset at Texas on the road. If you drop this game at home versus West Virginia Saturday night, all of a sudden... You're behind schedule uh, when when you're talking about finding a way to get into the NCAA tournament. And you do not want that to snowball having to go to Texas, who's ranked 6th, and then you turn around and you go to Baylor the following Saturday. You do not want to find yourself in a position where you're 0-3 to start Big 12 play. That would not be good. Now, K-State's women go to Texas to play at 2 p.m. on Longhorn Network. Hopefully, they get stuff started with a win. Uh, Texas 9-4. They're always talented. Um, Is K-State going to get enough stops? I think K-State's offense uh, is good enough that every game it's going to be about, can they get enough stops? Can they get enough stops to get the win, get back home with the win? And then they're going to turn around and play Oklahoma State on that following Wednesday uh, at 6.30. The game on Saturday, 2 p.m. Longhorn Network, 6.30. Oklahoma State going to be on ESPN+. For them, I want to see them start 2-0. I want to see them start 2-0, then they get West Virginia at home, another game they should win. K-State's women, if they can play to what we saw when they upset Iowa at home early on in the non-con season... They should be able to start 3-0 and start hot on this season. Now, are they going to be good enough to contend for the Big 12? I'm not sure. This is not, you know, a you know, all-time type Baylor team. This is a team, a Baylor team that is uh, 23rd in the nation, KU's 22nd, Oklahoma 20, Iowa State 15. None of these teams are going to be so dominant that you say, oh, no chance to be a contender for the Big 12. You know, it's a lot. It, it, we are a far better squad than I anticipated us being, at least through the non con. If they can keep it going, if they can keep this offense hot and find defensive stops when they need to, there's no reason why halfway through the season we can't be in a similar situation where we were last year where you're saying, hey, can we contend for the Big 12? Now, hopefully the second half of the season goes far better than it did last year. Um, but there's, it's it's not out of the question to be in a similar situation. Uh, but that's all I have, folks. I hope everyone who is going to New Orleans has gotten there safely. I hope everyone who is going to still be trying to get there, trying to fly out on this Friday, can get there in time. I know everything's been crazy. I want to thank everyone again one more time for such a great Year. I'm hoping Saturday is one of the best days in K-State sports history with a massive bowl win and a top 25 basketball win as well. I hope everyone has a safe and happy new year. We will be back in your ears uh, on Monday and it'll be a brand new year. It'll be a brand new year. Bosco's voice hopefully 2023 as is as eventful as. And fruitful as 2022 was For this podcast So for Chauncey Bosco The Wonder Pup The best co-host And best dog in the world We love you guys Happy New Year And go Cats
2: Should old acquaintance Be forgot And never brought to
0: mind Should all
2: pop Podcast Network.